Wow. Sit and take that in for a moment. That was fantastic. Thank you, orchestra. Thank you, David, for leading in that endeavor. What a gift from God that music is and instruments are and useful in corporate worship as we gather to praise the Lord and give Him glory. Well, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me again this morning to the book of Revelation. Uh, we return to this final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. We'll be in chapter 20 today, and we're honing in on the end of uh, the written Word of God. We're uh, looking at these final few chapters of God's Word, only a couple of chapters left to go. But uh, we've been learning great truths about who God is and who He calls us to be, and a good reminder as we look at His Word that uh, this book was written uh, to encourage believers to faithfulness, to persevere until the very end, that is, until the return of Jesus Christ. If you were here last week, uh, then you know that we looked at the somewhat debated biblical text regarding Christ's uh, thousand-year reign or his millennial reign. Uh, and, I dis- and I say debated carefully uh, because this should not be a divisive issue in the church. In fact, our own denomination of Southern Baptists uh, have done really well here to emphasize the clear and plain uh, teachings and truths of God's word concerning the return of Christ. Uh, and intentionally communicating that those that disagree over when and how uh, some of the particulars of this 1,000-year reign of Christ will take place are on the same team uh, and in the same camp, followers of Jesus who stand in submission to the Word of God, who trust in Jesus as their Savior and who proclaim Him as the Lord. Now, you may react to that and say, well, then how can folks come to different conclusions on this particular issue? Now, we could talk about that uh, quite a bit, and I don't want to belabor the point, but simply to say that this is not uh, an issue of sin. This is not an issue of the character of God. This is not uh, a gospel issue, and there are many of those uh, under the umbrella of the teaching of God's Word. But here's a, a conversation about how uh, some of the timing and theological particulars of greater truths concerning God will play themselves out. And that gospel truth is that Jesus reigns on high, uh, that He will return, uh, that He will judge, and that He will gather His people, that He will reign forever and ever. And so uh, let me press just one step further and to say uh, the short answer is that in this particular case... It usually depends on, A, uh, how we understand the particular genre of revelation, uh, whether or not it is uh, strictly prophetic or it's apocalyptic, and two, which biblical text we begin with. Now, all that to say, uh, how we read Revelation 20 is not an issue of conservatism versus liberalism, or any indication of the level to which we submit to and trust in God's Word. I want you to know that Meadowbrook uh, is committed, that I am committed, that we as a church are committed to reading and studying uh, and applying the full counsel of God's Word, book by book, chapter by chapter, often verse by verse. Why? Uh, Because it ensures that we stand under the authority of the Bible of God's infallible and inspired word asking him to speak to us and resisting any attempt to impose a particular interpretive grid other than the gospel of Jesus Christ upon the Bible. Friends, this book is God's word. It is his word. 
It is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So we open it regularly. We read it thoroughly, and we strive to build our lives upon the truths found therein. Amen? So let's hear what God has to say to us this morning through His Word, out of reverence for the One whose Word it is that we are reading. Would you join me once again Standing as we read God's holy word. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. John continues, he writes, he says, When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Would you bow with me? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning acknowledging our dependence upon you, our need for you. And Lord, you are a God who supplies again and again and again. You are sufficient. And Lord, your word is good. Give us a hunger for it. And now, Lord, give us wisdom, guide us by the presence and power and ministry of your Holy Spirit that we might rightly understand the truths of your word and apply them to our lives as your people, that we might be conformed more and more into the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this week concludes the 240 third year of our nation's history, our nation's independence, I probably should say, not say history, nation's independence. And what a blessing it is that we have the privilege of living in the United States of America, a nation uh, that has been marked by multiple generations of servant citizens fighting for freedoms, both on the battlefield and in the legislature. Freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom of assembly, and freedom to petition to to petition the government. You know, we we see the American flag, and we ought to be led to give thanks first to God and to those that He has used. Let me say once again, encourage you to be here this Wednesday night as we have a special opportunity and time gathering celebration to do just that. You know, we often pledge allegiance to the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, 
indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I think we'd all acknowledge that we are, we are far from a perfect nation with a completely pure history, but we are a nation that champions justice to punish criminals and to rescue victims, to give all citizens the right to a fair trial. We sometimes fall short of this, but for this we must continue to strive, championing justice over injustice. You know, even the very best judicial system on earth can fail at this because it is comprised of finite and flawed people. But I'm standing before you, church, this morning to proclaim that there is an infinite and flawless one who always gets it right. A champion of justice who will soon provide justice for all. Church, our biblical text for this morning proclaims loud and clear that God is a mighty warrior and a just judge. God is a mighty warrior and a just judge. Our maker is our savior. He is gracious and he's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's a God who rescues us from sin and and darkness, rescues us from death. He brings us into the kingdom of The Son, He loves our Savior. And we sing these truths often. We should. We should celebrate His grace and His compassion. We should celebrate these truths that allow us to approach God as a loving Father. But we also need to be reminded that He is mighty and majestic. That He is holy and set apart. That He's righteous. That He is an all-powerful King. Church, God is a mighty warrior and a just judge who will permanently defeat Satan and his armies. God will permanently defeat Satan and his armies. This is good news for those who serve the Lord. You don't have to look far and wide to know that evil abounds in this world. Injustice is commonplace. Immorality is rampant. Greed, pride, money, and pleasure remain idols all across the globe today. And Satan absolutely loves it. The devil champions anything that disrupts or discourages or distracts from allegiance to Jesus. He is alive and he's active. He's prowling around looking for anyone and everyone to lead astray. He loves sin and he loves it when we sin. He knows he's defeated. But he never surrenders. He opposes God and he strives to unite a coalition in opposition to God, a global assault on Jesus and his church. And the Bible tells us here in this chapter that for a long season, God prevents Satan from doing so. For Satan has limited power and can only operate with God's permission. However, we read in our text for today, verse 7, that Satan will be released from his prison. And he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle. Gog and Magog are straight out of Ezekiel chapter 38. Titles of Israel's pagan oppressors. And here stand for the enemies of God among the nations of the world. Probably not, I don't think, a a reference to any modern day superpower. It's not uh, our prerogative. It's rather presumptuous to assume that we might know who this represents in the world today. In God's providential and perfect time, Satan will be released and the devil will gather his armies. The devil will gather his armies. 
Prior to his release, Revelation chapter 20, verse 3, we read that the angel threw Satan in the abyss and locked and sealed it over to him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. You see, for a short time, the devil will receive freedom again to deceive the nations and to organize a final global assault against Jesus and his armies. But church, make absolutely no mistake about it. God will soundly destroy them. God will soundly destroy them. Verse 9, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, I I tend to think that this is the same battle that we've already read about in chapter 19 as well as chapter 16 described as Armageddon. But that's not the central point of this picture. I recognize I draw that conclusion based upon how I understand the millennium referred to in the first part of this chapter. And so wherever you see this, wherever you interpret this final battle between God and Satan unfolding in relation to the chapters that precede it, what is absolutely 100% crystal clear is that it is over before it ever even begins. The final battle is rigged. And thinking about that... Recall something that happened in our household yesterday. Ashley and I were standing in the kitchen. The kids were playing. And I heard the pitter-patter of footsteps running through the dining room and coming into the kitchen uh, yelling, Bug! Bug! If you've got kids, you've probably heard that before. If you're married, maybe you've heard that before. But here comes my almost two-year-old little boy. uh, And he's got... The remnants of some kind of little squishy bug uh, spread between his index uh, finger and his thumb. And I have to say, as a father, I was pretty proud of my son in that moment. (laughs) And in thinking about that truth, I sort of took care of that, wiped it off his hands, and he was ready to go. And thinking about that, he is a 22-month-old who has a very limited vocabulary and sounds like a herd of elephants as he runs through the house, but when he encounters such a creature, the creature does not stand a chance. There is no conflict, there is no battle, nothing to report, only a mess to clean up. Friends, when it comes to this final battle, Frank Thielman describes Satan's attempt to assemble an army from the nations to attack God's people as a tempest in a teapot, a storm contained in a kettle. Doug Webster uh, reflects on this battle and he writes, No fight scene is reported. Fire comes down from heaven and the war is over before it begins. In the presence of the Almighty God, Satan is the defeated foe. There is no heroic last stand. Nothing worth reporting. The psalmist prepares us for the foolishness of such an attempt to gather an army to stop God. Psalm 2, verses 1 and following. Why do the nations conspire? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. 
He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. The point is that opposing the king of all kings is utter and absolute foolishness. And yet this is what Satan and sinners do. God's plan of victory over sin and Satan and of justice for all allows for repentance right up to the very end. And yet Satan so opposes God that he will fight with Christ every single moment he can. And human depravity runs so deep That unless we are signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit of God, we too are susceptible to succumb to Satan's lie that Jesus is the enemy. Friends, Jesus is not the enemy. Jesus is our Savior. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He is a mighty warrior and a just judge. God is a mighty warrior and just judge who will soundly defeat Satan and his armies. Listen to how Peter The apostle describes the day of Christ's return. 2 Peter chapter 3 verses 7 and following. And in context, Peter is writing to believers in the first century. And he's uh, writing to combat this notion that some are spreading a rumor that uh, you believers say that Christ will return. Well, where is he? He hasn't shown up yet. Peter addresses that issue with urgency as if to say, he's coming. Be prepared. Be ready. By the same word. That he spoke creation into existence. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire. Being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. He says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish. But everyone to come to repentance. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Church, at the end of the age, the Lord of heaven and earth will permanently defeat Satan and his armies. And he will judge all people according to the gospel of Jesus. God will judge all people according to the gospel of Jesus. You see, in verse 11 of our chapter, the text shifts. From the battlefield to the courtroom. And this courtroom is presided over by the honorable and almighty maker, sustainer and ruler over all. Jesus the Christ is his name. And he judges with perfect justice. No one is wrongfully condemned. But this book contains perfect records of our lives. Nothing at all is overlooked. For all is seen by this one who's Eyes are like blazing fire. The vision here recalls Daniel's vision of the same scene. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Daniel writes, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. He says, a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. John tells us in verse 12 that there are two kinds of books. Those that contain deeds and the book of life. He says, verse 15, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. 
What is this book of life? I want my name to be in the book of life. John gives us a hint back in chapter 13, verse 8. He says, all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Inhabitants of the earth, as we've noted before, sort of a stock phrase in Revelation to refer to unbelievers. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The Lamb, of course, is the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world. And so if we take this account seriously, if we take God's word seriously, we see here that some folks are judged according to their deeds and some folks are judged according to the Lamb's deeds. I don't know about you. I don't want to be judged according to my deeds. I want to be judged according to the Lamb's deeds on my behalf. And in both cases, God remains just. Justice is served. Justice for all. The Bible is clear here and elsewhere that God's judgment upon unbelievers, that is those who fail to repent and trust in Jesus for salvation, declares that hell is real. Hell is real, horrendous, and deserved. The Bible teaches that hell is real, it is horrendous, it is unimaginable horror. It is real, it is horrendous, it is deserved. There's a movement today to erase this doctrine, to erase the doctrine of hell, but it's a movement that is not Grounded in the word of God. Submission to God's word does not allow us to easily dismiss this truth. The Bible is the word of God and our source of truth. So we must come to it on its own terms. Seeking to submit to it and hear from it. Rather than impose our message upon it. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes on the doctrine of hell. He writes says, there is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, if it lay in my power. He says, but it has the full support of Scripture, and especially of our Lord's own words. Let's listen to our Lord on judgment and hell. John chapter 12, verse 48, John, uh, Jesus says, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. Jesus says, the very words I've spoken will condemn them at the last day. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Friends, this is only a brief sampling of the numerous references from the lips of Jesus concerning the reality of judgment and hell. All who are judged according to their own works will be condemned to hell, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Meaning none of us have earned heaven. None of us deserve God's forgiveness and salvation. Church, if we miss that, we have missed the gospel. Saved by the grace of God, we have earned his punishment we have earned his judgment for our rebellion against the most lofty and glorious one the very one to whom we owe our existence bible teaches that hell is real it is horrendous it is deserved but heaven is also real and it is perfect and it is graciously offered to us For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul continues in Romans chapter 3. He says, and all are justified freely. 
All are declared righteous by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Friends, heaven is real. It is perfect. It is graciously offered. Meaning meaning that those whose names are found written in the Lamb's book of life are only in the book because the blood of the Lamb has atoned for their sins. In other words, for those of us who have turned from sin and trusted in Jesus for salvation, we praise God that we're not judged on the basis of our works, our efforts. Otherwise, we'd be in the same books. We'd be in the same books as Nero and Domitian, the same books as Hitler and Stalin, Bin Laden, and every other unbeliever who joins the devil in opposing Jesus and his people. Friend, C.S. Lewis cautions us against thinking that Christ's warnings about hell are meant for someone else. He says... In all discussions of hell, we should keep steadily before our eyes the possible damnation, not of our enemies nor our friends, but of ourselves. He says, this is not about your wife or your son, nor about Nero or Judas Iscariot. It's about you and it's about me. So friend, don't ignore this doctrine. Don't ignore the gospel truth on forgiveness salvation, judgment, and damnation. Friend, will you get the everlasting punishment you deserve? Or will you get the everlasting life Christ Jesus so graciously offers to you? In either case, there will be justice, justice for all, judged either on the basis of our own unrighteousness or judged on the basis of Jesus and His righteousness. Respond to Jesus in faith. Respond to Jesus in faith. Turn and trust in Christ for salvation and receive receive the free gift of forgiveness of sins. The great exchange, our sin for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the whole point of John's book of Revelation and the whole word of God for that matter is to encourage us to faith in Jesus. Is your faith in Jesus. To encourage us to put our faith in the one Our sins offended, yet the very same one who has overcome our sins. Respond to Jesus in faith, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Meaning everyone who calls on the name of Jesus in faith, genuine faith, trusting in Him as Savior and Lord and His provision on the cross for us is saved. Are you saved? This is not about your wife or your son. It's not about Nero or Judas Iscariot. It's about you. It's about me. Justice is coming. There will, be no, there will be justice for all. For the justice the mighty warrior and just judge gives to you be dependent upon what you have done or will it be dependent upon what Christ has done for you? Respond to Jesus in faith. Respond to Jesus in faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can... They believe in the one of whom they have not heard. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them, without someone delivering the message? Church, the reality is you and I have heard the gospel this morning. And most of us, not for the first time. Time after time after time. We've heard the gospel, but who do you know that hasn't? Who who do you know that needs to hear the message of the gospel? Who do you know that 
has not turned and trusted in Jesus? Who do you know that has not put her trust in Jesus the Christ? For us to be faithful with what we have heard today, we must, A, respond to Jesus in faith, and then we must talk about Jesus. We must be a people who take the words of God's Word to heart and not only believe what we hear, but speak the truth to others. Who live out our identity, yes, as sons and daughters of the Most High God, but also as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Who champion the grace of God expressed in the gospel of Jesus. Brother, sister, would you talk about Jesus this week? Perhaps that begins by praying. God, give me opportunities to tell others about Jesus. Give me opportunities to turn ordinary, everyday conversations into conversations about Jesus, your Son, my Savior. I don't know what your plans are this week for the 4th of July. It's a big holiday. It's something worth celebrating in some form or fashion. Maybe at a celebration, maybe before or after a celebration, maybe there's an opportunity to talk with someone about what you did or what you're planning to do and why you celebrate. And then to transition and say, you know, I also celebrate what God has done for me by saving me through Jesus Christ. And for that reason, I do X, Y, and Z. I'm part of the church family. I I, I read the Bible and believe its message. What do you celebrate? What do you believe? And the door is open to a conversation about the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. May we repent and turn to Jesus in faith. And may we build our lives upon the truth of His Word. And may we proclaim His salvation until He comes again. For He is coming. He is coming. Justice will be served. Justice for all. May we worship Him. Father, we thank You for the chance to gather today Lord, to come together in a room full of other followers of Jesus and to open your word and to sing your praises. Lord, without fear of being interrupted and knowing that you have given us ultimate and true and lasting freedom through Jesus Christ. Lord, you have liberated us from the bondage of sin. You claim us as your own. You call us your people and you invite us to know and to enjoy you. Lord, may we do so. And Lord, may we take your word seriously and may we respond to it faithfully. And so, Lord, lead us now. May we be faithful in expressing our faith in you. Lord, may your spirit lead us and convict us where we're in error and draw us to you that we might confess our sins and walk with Jesus. Father, I pray that no one who has gathered on this hill in this worship gathering this morning that does not know Jesus, I pray, Lord, that no one would leave this place not knowing you today. Lord, lead us to respond in a way that glorifies you for you are worthy and you are good. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.